like the gang's all here. <laughs> okay. says uh, he is late getting on his computer just crashed and he was having to fix it. <laughs> Don't you love the new world of Zoom? I'm not getting any audio right now. I don't know if that's true. There we go. Okay. I hear you. You're you're fine, Roger. We're yeah. just uh, we're just waiting. Okay. Sounds good. Am I audible? You are. Good. Thank you. Are you are you mic'd up over there? Am I mic'd up? Or it's just coming through the ceiling. Oh, neat. Oh yeah yeah. I guess I just never been able to hear somebody from the back come through the PA system before. I think it's the uh, upgrades to the sound system. Oh. It's always been mic'd. It's because that way we can huh. always get um, full sound uh -huh. if someone speaks out in the audience. But I, I, we really upgraded the whole sound system for the auditorium yeah. that, that we got. Great. So. Great. We like that guy, Graham. He's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, in that case, uh, good evening. We'll call to order the uh, Monday, June 1, 2020 meeting of the Astoria City Council. Uh, 
Mr. Estes and I are in chambers, and I see that Councillor Herman, Councillor Rocca, Councillor West, and Councillor Brownson are logged in and are present via Zoom. And we're going to start tonight with a special uh, proclamation. And we have uh, a guest in chambers, braving coming into chambers in person, <laughs> Dita Angelis. And uh, DeAngelis, I'm sorry, Dita. And so we're going to read a uh, proclamation, and I'll, uh, for Pride Week and Month, and uh, I'll, I'll note at the beginning that probably historically relevant, uh, given what's happening this week, Pride Week uh, goes back historically to uh, June of 1970. 69. No, 70. All 70. I hate to correct. <laughs> no, the uh, Pride Week dates to June of 1970, which was the one-year anniversary of the Stonewall riots in June of 1969 in New York City. I have a few facts, right? Um, and uh, so th that was a time when there were riots in New York City caused by the police conducting raids over multiple nights on Stonewall Inn, which was a gathering place for the uh, gay community at that time, and the laws at that time, which actually made basically any homosexual act or activity illegal. And uh, as a result, the police carried out what were lawful raids, uh, arresting people for just being who they were. And uh, the outrage that sparked led to uh, outrage in other cities and, uh, and culminated in the beginning of Pride Week back in 1970 and every year since then. So um, it's a pleasure to have you here, Dita, and uh, I'll read this proclamation and then I'll ask Dita to come up and uh, we'll present it where folks can see it on Zoom. So a proclamation recognizing the month of June as LGBTQIA plus Pride Month in the city of Astoria, Oregon. Whereas the city of Astoria has a diverse uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning, intersex, and allied LGBTQIA community and is committed to supporting visibility, dignity, and equality for all people in the community. And whereas many of the residents, students, city employees, business owners uh, within the city of Astoria who contribute to the enrichment of our city are a part of the LGBTQIA plus community. And whereas various advancements have been made with respect to equitable treatment of LGBTQIA plus persons throughout the nation, there continues to be some opposition against people from this community and around the world, making it important for cities like Astoria to stand up and show support for our residents who are affected. And whereas many cities in the United States and around the world recognize and celebrate June as LGBTQIA Pride Month, and whereas June has become a symbolic month in which LGBTQIA people and supporters come together in various celebrations of pride, and whereas the rainbow flag, also known as the LGBT Pride flag, has been used since 1978 as a symbol 
of LGBTQIA plus social movements. And now, therefore, the City Council of the City of Astoria, Oregon, does hereby declare the month of June as LGBTQIA plus Pride Month in the City of Astoria, Oregon, and invites everyone to reflect on ways we all can live and work together with a commitment of mutual respect and understanding. And of course, we're all very sorry that we aren't having a parade this year. And uh, COVID-19 has done that to many of our important celebrations. And we certainly look forward to, uh, I'll knock on the wood, next June. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, Dita, I, I, Don, Don is on. Hi, Don. Hi. And so I'll ask, just, uh, I, Don, I'll ask if there's anything to, uh, you'd like to say, and then I'll bring Dita up to present a proclamation. Marvelous. I, I would like to just say, uh, Honorable Mayor and Councilors uh, West, Bronson, uh, Roca, and Herman, thank you so much for giving us the support, uh, the support of our community uh, that have uh, over the past four years, of course, this is our fifth and unfortunately we're unable to uh, be there in person. Uh, you mentioned that it was unfortunate that we weren't going to have a parade, but we are. Uh, there will be a car parade on Sunday. Uh, so all of you uh, can uh, join in on that. Again, uh, we are very thankful at the lower community or lower, lower Columbia Q Center and Astoria Pride to have the proclamation written tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you. And now I'll, uh, I'll don a mask and Dita DeAngelis will come up to receive the proclamation. So Dita, yes. thanks for being here. And we're very happy to present you this proclamation and offer you the opportunity to say anything if you'd like. We Absolutely. Can't shake hands, but That's we'll right. Least, uh, Nothing meet, like meet rubbing elbows paper. with the mayor, exactly. right? That's right. Um, we are very happy to be able to present what we are doing uh, for Pride. It's all going to be online. There's going to be posters all over town, so please keep your eyes open for those. Um, our car parade, just because we've got the chiefs sitting over there, um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> is mainly going to entail uh, driving by on 7th and uh 7th and exchange which happens to be uh marco davis's home which we are which is always decked out in its regalia uh we're going to treat it like they do on um uh, the drive-by birthdays are going on so we'll all be standing out there in front of his house on sunday at noon noon until two and you just can either walk by and you will be live on Facebook or live on YouTube at the same time. So Great. between 12 and 2, it'll be very casual. We'll see you coming and when you drive by, we'll all wave at you. And so <laughs> then take your trip around town and show your pride that way. That would be very, very helpful to awesome. us. So Great. thank you very much, Mayor. Thank you for thank being you, here. Thank you everybody uh, and in here in Astoria for helping us out with this. And we are very honored to be able to break out and, and celebrate something since we've all been cooped up for quite a while. Absolutely. So God bless everybody. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you so you, much. Mayor, sir. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Mayor. <sighs> okay. I see uh, Mr. Dart McLean has logged in, so I'll, I'll interrupt the agenda to uh, say 
A, a very hearty congratulations to Jonah Dart-McLean for uh, being offered and accepting the position as our Parks and Recreation Department Director. Very happy to have you uh, officially and permanently in the full-time position as opposed to interim or acting. But you've uh, obviously proven your mettle uh, over and multiple times over the past several months in a difficult, difficult time and uh, you're the right person to lead the department through our economic crisis we're currently un 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 undergoing and uh, in the years to come. So thank you, Mr. Dart McLean. And uh, I could put him on the spot and ask him if he wants to say anything. Jonah, you sure. want to say something? Can you put him on the... We're, we're trying to unmute you. Can, can you hear me all right? Now we can, yes. yes. Uh, I really appreciate that uh, very much, Mr. Mayor. And uh, yeah, I really am very happy to be able to serve the city of Astoria and continue to, uh, to work with the Parks Department, which I think uh, we do a great job and we're just going to keep getting better. Okay, very good. And uh, while we're in introductory mode, um, some of you weren't, weren't uh, I'm trying to remember the meeting. It was a budget, budget meeting, committee. wasn't it? Yeah. So since our last city council meeting, um, we introduced our new community development director, Meg Leatherman, at a budget meeting, but um, I think we have a little wider audience at the city council meeting, so I'll just uh, uh, welcome once again our new community development director. She survived the first full week of uh, challenging uh, commission meetings and, uh, and budget meetings and uh, meeting various folks in the community. And so if we can find uh, Ms. Leatherman up there, uh, we'll say welcome, how, how pleased we are to have you here, and then uh, offer you a, an opportunity to say a few words after your first week on the job. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, can you hear me? We can. Okay, great. Um, I'm so thrilled to be here. Um, I've had an exceptional week, first week, I'm so impressed with the staff and, um, and so looking forward to working with you all to uh, move forward with your goals, so thank you. Thank you. So um, before we get to reports of counselors, uh, this is a very challenging week uh, for us as Americans, and particularly for people in uh, several dozen other cities in America, we're uh, in somewhat of a bubble here as we watch uh, television or look at uh, news reports on the internet from what's happening and again, probably four dozen or more cities around the country in the aftermath of the, what can only be called uh, murder of, uh, of Mr. Uh, George Floyd um, in Minneapolis. And uh, there was a, a very moving uh, demonstration held yesterday uh, in, in just the space of less than 24 hours of Facebook notice. People uh, got the word and came out onto our streets on uh, Marine Drive between 16th and 20th Street. A good 300 people came out to show solidarity with uh, our African-American community around the nation and the family and friends of uh, Mr. George uh, Floyd, who was, uh, again, murdered basically on live uh, Facebook feed in Minneapolis. 
And I know a lot of people have had lots of questions about um, the riots that are taking place, in some cases being perpetrated by people who have no connection to oppressed people but are simply exploiting the situation for their own uh, purposes. While meanwhile, those who have suffered for many years and decades um, are peacefully demonstrating to ask that their rights be honored. And we've been very happy to hear uh, several days ago from our police chief, Jeff Spaulding, uh, for whom we have the greatest respect. He and his uh, deputy chief, Eric Halverson, uh, have just done a marvelous job leading our police department. And uh, Chief Spaulding had asked to be able to uh, make a report and talk a little bit about some of the questions people have about our police department's stance on these issues. Uh, and also specifically on the type of training our police officers have and what measures of accountability are in place to ensure that we all remain safe as our police department uh, keeps us safe. So Chief Spaulding, I'll offer you the opportunity to uh, hear that report that I know you prepared. Well, thank you, Mayor. Everybody hear me okay? Yes. A little faint. A little faint? Let me move the microphone a little bit closer. Is that any better? Yes. All right, thank you. So, uh, Mayor, uh, members of council, Jeff Spaulding, your police chief, uh, thank you for the opportunity to allow me to present tonight on this topic. Uh, as the mayor mentioned, you know, we are in a little bit of a bubble here, but at the same time, uh, Any time a tragic incident like this occurs in law enforcement, uh, all of law enforcement suffers, even in Astoria. We all pay the price for the uh, actions of one rogue uh, police officer in another state. And it seems like every several years we have to go through this again. And sometimes it feels like we take two or three steps forward and five steps back. And it's very frustrating for law enforcement because the vast majority of law enforcement really does do an excellent job the vast majority of the time. But unfortunately, these incidents, as bad as they are, are highlighted and bring to light uh, some important topics in law enforcement. And I've been receiving a lot of questions from the public. And in light of the national conversation on the tragic uh, George Floyd death, uh, some of the questions I've been receiving regarding training, body cameras, use of force, and those types of questions, I actually appreciate and welcome those questions and the opportunity to respond because I really think that we do an excellent job in all of these categories. Uh, as a result, uh, I did prepare a document for council just describing some of the topics in relation to some of the questions I'm receiving. And I wanted to provide these to council, not because I feel or anybody in our department feels that council is questioning, questioning our department because that's not the case. I just want the council to be better prepared in case there are questions of the council members. At the same time, this document I would make available to anybody that asks in terms that they want to know more about our training and what have you. Uh, it's not my intention to sit here and read this document to you tonight, but I will highlight some of the, the what I think are the most important parts of the document and then uh, allow the, uh, you all to read this at, at your leisure. So um, by introduction, um, I already mentioned that I'd received the questions. And the, the Astoria Police Department, our core values are service, respect, accountability, excellence, collaboration, and listening. 
the uh, the most in, uh, one of the most important things we do is make sure that we hire the right people. If we don't hire the right people, then it's it becomes extremely difficult to train and to ensure that we have the right quality and that we have the right person with the appropriate ethics and integrity. Our, I've always said that it's always been my adage that we hire for attitude and we train for aptitude. The hiring process is a very rigorous hiring process. It's not unusual for 100 applicants to come through the system and we may only end up with two or three out of that process. The process begins with an extensive written uh, process that tests for reading and writing skills, comprehension, um, other qualities, and if an individual passes that, they move to an oral board consisting of members of the public and <coughs> internal staff. If they pass that oral board, then they go to an extremely comprehensive and extensive background investigation where neighbors interview, friends and family interview, previous employers. Uh, we look at their legal and their, any potential criminal history. If they make it through the background, then they move to a psychological process which involves uh, several psychological battery of tests and then there's a meeting with a psychologist. If they pass that test, then they move on to the medical test and then the drug screening. So it's not a simple matter of somebody coming in and saying, I want to become a police officer. It's a very difficult process, and it's important that we get the right people. If an individual makes it through all those processes hired by us, uh, they also have to meet the minimum standards of the state. The State Department of Public Safety Standards and Training, DPSST, is the only training entity in the state. The uh, new officer will attend a police academy there, which lasts 16 weeks. And once they pass and get through that process, they become certified by the state. One of the things that uh, I appreciate in the state of Oregon, and this is not the case in every state, is the state has a very robust decertification process. So once you become certified, you can also become decertified. And um, this is a process whereby any time the, the Academy becomes aware that an officer has either been disciplined for something relatively severe, then they will look at the case and there are automatic disqualifiers from certification. There are also other things that are maybe less egregious that they will review and then there's a policy board of 24 members that will review and determine whether the officer should be decertified. So basically this means that even if the officer has been fired or not or retained by an agency, they can no longer work at any other agency in the state. So uh, it's a, actually a pretty good process. You might be surprised to know that during one period that they measured, and this goes back a little bit, but from 2009 to 2013, there were 203 police officers that were decertified. Seems like a big number, and it is, but this is out of over 5,500 police officers. This amounts to about 4% of the police officer population. Um, it may seem low to some people, but to me, in a profession that should have a zero percent rate, this is pretty high still. But at least it highlights the fact that the system does police the police and there is accountability for law enforcement. So one of the uh, other uh, most important topics I receive is, you know, what do we do for training and what types of topics do we train on? Most people imagine that we train on firearms and how to drive safely and those types of things. But there are a lot of topics that are uh, added to the curriculum that have been added over the years. I can tell you when I started over 40 years ago that most of these topics I hadn't even heard of. I had never heard the term domestic violence or de-escalation. So as uh, law enforcement has become more professional and more progressive, many of these topics have been added to the curriculum. The original officer, as I mentioned before, he goes to he or she goes to the academy for 16 weeks. During this time, some of the courses that I did highlight, this is by no means all comprehensive, but these are some of the ones that are on point. Um, 
for example, effective interactions, people with disabilities, ethics, implicit bias, procedural justice and police legitimacy, behavioral health, domestic violence, supporting victims of crime, use of force, tactical emergency casualty care, behavioral health scenarios, domestic violence scenarios, use of force and decision-making scenarios. And the officers have to pass every one of these classes in order to complete the academy. This is just, a, again, just a partial list. Once the officer graduates from the academy, successfully graduates from the academy, they enter the department's field training program. And it's pretty similar throughout the state, but I can tell you in a story, the program lasts for about three to four months. During these three to four months, they're placed with a different officer in each phase. There's generally speaking three phases. They have to go through a field training officer manual and they have to check every box. They have to either demonstrate that they understand the particular performance objective in order to move to the next category. Not every officer makes it through this um, in-depth program. It's only after the officer has completed the police academy that they've gone through the extensive field training program and they've been certified by the state are they allowed to be on the street solo and providing a service to the community. The, um, uh, once the officer's out of the training program, by no means does the training process end. There is um, continuous ongoing training. Some of the training is actually required by the state. There are a certain amount of hours that are required of every officer for every year. Some of these are what we call perishable skills, such as use of force, uh, defensive driving, uh, first aid, those types of things that get regular repeated training, and then there's uh, different topics every year. Each year, uh, the, again, the state requires 24 hours of training, but we provide much more. I did a little checking just to see how many hours of training each police officer actually receives. And you might be interested to know that out of the 17 sworn officers in the city of Astoria, they have a combined years of service of 242 years. The total training hours for these 17 officers in, in, that, in all those years amounts to just shy of 28,000 hours. This averages out to about 115 hours per officer. Six of our most senior officers who have over two decades of experience, and that includes me, um, have the equivalent of over one year of full-time training, over 2,000 hours if they were to train full-time for one year. So training is something that we take very seriously, it's something that's very important to our profession, and it's, it's critical in order for us to do our job. I can also say that uh, the department feels very well supported by our city leaders uh, in terms of giving us appropriate funds to do the training that we need to do, so that's much appreciated. Some of the topics I'm asked about are what types of things are we training that are outside of what people normally would think that we have as part of our police force. Uh, some of the topics I've listed here are counter bias training, implicit bias, deadly force decision making, uh, first aid CPR to include Narcan and Naloxone, de-escalation training, confrontational simulation training, special needs training, identifying and dealing with autism, communicating with the deaf, mental health, effective contacts of mentally ill, suicide intervention. Uh, we have certain qualifications for our pepper spray, our baton, taser, rifle, pistol, less lethal. Uh, in the area of ethics, ethical use of handcuffs, ethical use of taser, ethics and policing, and as I mentioned earlier, police legitimacy and use of force, of course. So uh, the next category I just want to touch on briefly is uh, body cameras. Uh, body cameras actually, the, the predecessor was the in-car cameras, which we still have. The in-car cameras have been around for almost 20 years now. Um, they were somewhat crude at the beginning with uh, VHS-type tapes that were in the 
uh, trunk-mounted recording unit in the back of the car. Um, they evolved over the years to a digital type format. Uh, digital uh, in-car cameras are very effective in capturing what the officer can see while seated in a police car. Uh, however, they were limited as uh, they weren't able to capture what the officer could see once they're out of the car, uh, when they out of the view of where the car would be pointing. So about uh, five years ago in 2015, the Astoria City Council uh, realized and recognized that there is a need for body-mounted cameras for police officers and approved the expenditure of the body-mounted cameras along with an upgraded in-car camera system, both from the same manufacturer that's all integrated together. So those are in place today. Uh, the officers are required to wear the camera. They're required to give notification when making contact. They're required to turn the camera on in most all situations, with the exception of situations where there's a privacy expectation or the individual is asking the officer not to record the situation. The camera remains on through the duration of the call. The officer uh, then records on his recorder and then it's captured and, and saved and it's either used for court or for other purposes. Um, so the one thing I did want to talk a little bit about is uh, policies related to use of force. There's actually uh, our policy on use of force is quite extensive and spans several pages throughout our policy manual. But there's two pertinent sections that I do want to highlight because they're germane to the conversation. Uh, the one of them is uh, the, that our policy requires a use of force by members of this department other than mere presence, directional control, escort holds, or commands shall be documented promptly, completely, and accurately. Officers shall articulate the factors perceived and why he or she believes the use of force was reasonable under the circumstances. Every use of force is reviewed by the command staff team for policy compliance, training needs, resource allocation, analysis, and related purposes. So every command staff meeting that we have, which is about every two weeks, there's typically two or three use of force type cases. Many of these are pretty low level and it simply is uh, the officer is uh, pointing their taser at somebody but never um, has the need to use the taser. However, the mere fact that an officer has taken the taser out and had to point it at somebody, we consider that enough of a use of force that needs to be reviewed to make sure that the circumstances were appropriate and reasonable. The other important thing too, again, very germane to the case here, is that Astoria Police Policy requires that any officer present and observing another officer using force that is clearly beyond that which is objectively, objectively reasonable under the circumstances shall, when in a position to do so, intercede to prevent the unusable, unreasonable use of force. An officer who observes another employee's use of force that exceeds the degree of force permitted by law should promptly report these observations to a supervisor. So very, very critical, important portions of our use of force policy. Um, I'll just close here by sharing some comments here. You know, I think uh, what I've talked about, all the things are, are very, very important to the effective operation and building trust in our community when it comes to training and those topics. Um, statistics also are, you know, interesting in terms of, um, you know, helping paint the picture. But to me, one of the most important things is when you have comments from officers in your organization that um, are, speak to how they feel about the agency, to me that, that speaks volume. So I'm going to share just a couple of those comments and then I'll close and allow questions. Um, four different comments here. When I was looking for a police department to be, become part of, I was concerned about stories that I heard of police brutality and corruption. 
Even before I was a police officer, I felt that those negative instances were the exception. And I feel very blessed to have landed at a department that has a tradition and expectation of integrity, honesty, and professionalism. Next one. I know that APD's standard practice is de-escalation when dealing with combative and hostile subjects. I have seen patience and de-escalation as a standard for the past 17 plus years at APD. When force has been used, I have seen a solid track record of only using reasonable force. During those instances where force is used, I have only seen quick and professional care of any person that has force used on them. Third, I have never seen any instances where an APD officer was racist or threatened, or I'm sorry, was racist or treated another unjustly based on their race, skin color, gender, religion, or any other class. Lastly, I feel that our officers' commitment to professionalism and the fair treatment of others is strengthened by the support from the Astoria community and from the support of our city leaders. I believe the support we experience in the community and community leaders enables APD officers to police with professionalism. So again, I think that very clearly summarizes the feeling of officers in the organization. So uh, I apologize for going on long, but it's such an important topic. And uh, again, I think one of the most important things is our community support. And that uh, you know, I, I really feel that our officers, our, our community, do not believe that an incident that we've seen here in Minnesota would happen in a city like ours. So. Thank you, Chief, very much for that. And you know, thanks for taking the initiative after the uh, George Floyd incident to recognize that this is gonna be something the community wanted to know more about in our own community. And so taking the initiative to prepare that report, it's very much, uh, very much appreciated. And I, I have the, the utmost faith in our police department just based on things I've heard about and witnessed with particularly the way our officers uh, react with the, uh, the unhoused population from time to time that just shows uh, a great deal of um, helpfulness and empathy and concern and patience while also protecting the safety and security of our of our neighbors as well. So let's open it up to any of the, um, the council who wishes to ask Chief any questions or comment. We need to unmute. We'll get you unmuted here in a moment. There we go. Brownson. Um, I really don't have much to add, uh, Chief Spaulding. I appreciate uh, your comments and um, your efforts to, you know, let us and the public know just how this uh, precinct, how this uh, department operates and the training involved. I think it is really important to note that um, a year ago I did a ride around with one of your senior officers and and there was a discussion at that time because there had been incidents, uh, you know, across the country. Um, and the concern was expressed about how, uh, because of the actions of the few, how difficult it can make a young person's decision to go into policing difficult. Because uh, often the police, uh, police officers, to, through no fault of their own, uh, Sometimes they don't get a lot of respect from, you know, when something like this happens, uh, the public can, can turn on uh, good police officers and, and that's just detrimental. And um, I, I too think we have a, a, a very well run and, and respected uh, police department. And I, again, I wanna thank you for all the work that you've put in and what you've brought to the city since you've been here. Thank you. Thank you, Councilman. Uh, this is Jessamine. I just, I was going to say this in my counselor update, but um, I just 
also wanted to thank you, Chief Balding, for um, the very moving message that you sent to council uh, and that you posted on social media. And I think the fact that you were so proactive around delivering this message um, just reaffirms how much I believe that you care about this community. Um, and, and just to thank your entire department for what I see as a really strong commitment to Astoria, um, which was definitely displayed by uh, the, the police cars that drove by the protest. Um, I know Mayor Jones spoke to that, um, so I won't reiterate that too much, but um, that was, I caught the very end of the protest or the demonstration, I should call it, and uh, it, that support, like just the presence of APD there um, brought a lot of people to tears. And I know that um, for myself, like it's just given me a lot of hope, um, which I think is a really good thing to have right now. And so uh, thank you very much for um, your leadership during what I know is a really difficult time for uh, police and communities across the whole country. Thank you, Councilman. I also would like to thank you, Chief Spaulding, for addressing this tragedy, this brutal murder head on and speaking to the community in this way. And I would encourage anyone who hasn't, who would like to read the full statement that you wrote to go on to our Facebook pages, those of us who have them, or I would imagine it's also on the Astoria Police Department Facebook page um, because it, it's really quite a statement of your values, the values of the department. And I really appreciate your steady leadership and the fine example you set of, of what a police officer can and should be uh, for all the fine men and women of the police department. Well, I think my colleagues have all expressed it well, and I, I would just add that uh, I really appreciate Chief Spaulding's uh, immediate instinct to reach out to the community when this happened and to reassure the community that that's not how things are done here. And I also have to say I appreciate uh, Mayor Jones uh, bringing this up directly to start our meeting. I think that was very appropriate. Thank you. Thank you. losing track. Did we miss anybody? Is that everything? Yeah, all, all the okay. <laughs> Sometimes I lose track where I am. Uh, so I would offer if there are any members of the public uh, who would wish to ask Chief Spaulding a question, you can use the raise hand function um, if you know how to do that. And uh, Ms. Benwagas, you'll have to look for that and unmute anybody that wishes to speak. So we'll just we'll give about 30 seconds to give people time to find the raise hand function if you want to say anything. Mr. Ozer. Good evening. I just want to thank I want to thank Chief Spaulding for that statement. It makes me proud to be an historian and I am I have complete confidence in our in our department. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, David. Thank you for that, Mr. Ozer. Anyone else? Okay. Well, it looks like that's that's all the comments. Thanks again, Chief. Thank you. Thanks very much. 
And, uh, and now we'll move to reports of counselors. So, um, Councilor Rocca. Well, I want to congratulate us on getting Jonah as our new parks director. <laughs> Jonah has been impressive to me since uh, really since I started on the council. So congratulations, Jonah, and congratulations, us. Um, during the past couple of weeks, along with all of my colleagues on the council, I got to attend two exciting nights of city budget meetings, <laughs> um, made even more exciting by the fact that uh, none of us really knows exactly what's going to happen. And so uh, we're going to be revisiting the budget a lot, I'm sure, as the year goes on. Uh, I just got word today from Ken Schunkweiler that ODOT is going to be improving the pedestrian crossing in Uniontown. That'll take place in the next month or so. They're going to put in bright, uh, rapid flashing beacons, which uh, should do a pretty good job of grabbing the attention of uh, approaching traffic. And then finally, I want to report an ex parte contact about an issue that's on the agenda for this evening. I received a call from Chuck Everett of Braintree Hospitality. That's the company that now owns the Holiday Inn Express in Astoria. Uh, I suggested to Mr. Everett that he attend tonight's meeting via Zoom and participate during public comment on the lodging provisions items so he would be, uh, you know, uh, stating his case to, to everybody at once. That's the end of my report. Thank you very much. Now, so is that an ex parte contact technically? It's, it's not a land use decision, is it? It won't be a land use matter. So it's not anything that would um, would uh, require any official um, declaration to be made for um, the councilor to participate. I, I think probably uh, Council Rocco was, was referring to, it was, a, it was a contact about this, but it, it, it wouldn't uh, jeopardize the possibility of uh, Council Rocca from participating as okay. it's not a land use hearing. Okay, very good. And I, yeah, I also had a call from Mr. Everett, and I'm pretty sure I suspect all, all my colleagues did as well. Uh, Councillor West. Uh, yes, I also spoke with Mr. Everett. Um, as far as my updates go, I was able to attend. I've been trying to go to the League of Oregon Cities um, meetings every Friday morning. Um, this last week's was really informative. Uh, with CARES Act funding updates um, for cities throughout the state of Oregon. So I suspect, uh, I know there'll be more updates at their next meeting as well. So it just um, seems to be hopefully moving in a positive direction as far as getting CARES Act funding to uh, cities throughout Oregon. Um, I was also able to listen in on the county commission meeting last Friday. Um, and I also attended a National League of Cities, actually a meeting on uh, self-care strategies for effective leadership. And uh, that was different and, and also very uh, informative. Um, I think everything else has pretty much been said, in particular, the, the comments towards Chief Spaulding. Um, congratulations to Jonah. I was crossing my fingers that you would <laughs> accept the position and I'm just uh, so honored that you've done so um, and also really looking forward to meeting Ms. Leatherman um, one of these days hopefully soon in person um, yeah thank you both so um, that's all I have okay thank you and Councillor Brownson thank you mayor um, so 
just a, a note with uh, League of Oregon Cities. I've been on a couple of their committees, tax and finance and uh, energy and environment. We've had our last couple meetings and we'll probably have a, another short meeting for each one of them to finalize items to uh, support the legis for legislation uh, uh, for our cities. And uh, probably next week, I'll give you a quick rundown of what those items are. And um, I held a virtual meet your council meeting. I want to tell you, it was a smashing success. I had a friend from Warrington call. Yeah. <laughs> about that. The point is that I want to make here is that, you know, I, I like to make myself available once a month for people to just talk, just to have an opportunity to uh, uh, say what they feel about what's going on. But I would like to note that it doesn't take me having a meeting for you to contact me. Any of my constituents can call me anytime and I will, uh, I will return the call and uh, I encourage that. So um, I hope there are people that hear that. Uh, there, there are a bunch of people here. I, 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 you know, this virtual meetings, I'd love to see more participants. I'm, I'm glad we have the people that are here. I'd like to see 100 people watching this, but even my wife waits upstairs while I do this. <laughs> my expectations aren't great. Um, other than that, I just wanted to note that all uh, I've got all my new shrubs in and uh, and in an effort to support Public Works Department, which is wholly dependent on fees, grants, and loans to operate, I will be watering my lawn and new shrubbery throughout the summer. And in that way, increase my water bill and help support our public works. And I also wanted to note that Council Rocca, though he has asked them to leave, I wasn't sure if those are representatives of representations of the council behind him. Oh, or, my. Or the little <laughs> vagrant friend. But, <laughs> or the little vagrants that I kicked out of my yard to keep away from my shrubs. So um, that's about all I got, except uh, congratulations and, and thank you, uh, Jonah Dart McLean, for uh, taking on the Parks Department. I think you're going to do a great job. Uh, you've been there for a while and, and you know how the thing works, and these are going to be tough times ahead, and you know that, and you've taken the job. So um, we expect you to do a great work for us and also welcome. Uh, Meg Leatherman uh, as our new community development director and Brett just correct me if I'm wrong but I think we have a full complement of directors is that not right you are correct council Bromson we are full up on the department director side of things well, well done congratulations that's great and I guess one more thing uh, everybody saw in the paper that baked Alaska is closing its doors another uh, a, you know, consequence of, of the economic situation we find ourselves in. I was just looking at Facebook uh, and I noted that three cups of coffee is closing and not coming back. Uh, that's my coffee shop and I will miss those people. Uh, They're part of my just about everyday existence, going in for coffee and visiting and uh, got to know the people that work there. And I will really miss them. And that's an example of what we're looking forward to when these places close. These are people that are suddenly going to be out of our lives. They've been parts of our lives. So uh, we need to do everything we can, what we can, when we can, uh, to make sure you know these businesses can survive that do survive. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Councillor. And Councillor Herman. Thank you, Mayor. 
I listened in on the Seaside City Council's decision a week ago, I believe, or maybe it was two weeks ago now, to reopen hotels and other visitor lodgings to 100% capacity. And that began as of last Tuesday. And I also, along with my colleagues, listened in on the weekly League of Oregon Cities COVID-19 conference call with city officials from around Oregon, as well as an official from the Oregon Health Authority and a representative from the governor's office. And I also had a couple enjoyable evenings participating on the budget committee. And I still learn a lot um, with every, well, I've only been on two budget committees or two years, but I, I've learned just as much this year, I think, as I did last year, my first year. And I continue to be amazed at all the diverse services our small city provides to its residents, businesses, and visitors. And I just really appreciate all the work that went into preparing the budget, especially this year in light of all the unknown revenue streams. And uh, the key people involved in that were city manager SDs, finance director Brooks, as well as all the other department heads and any other employees who contributed. And I was really glad to hear that one city service is coming back partially, and that is our library's ability to take holds of physical books. So as of today, um, patrons can once again be submitting holds either online or via the telephone, and they can pick them up Wednesdays from 2 to 6 or Fridays from 10 to 2, and it won't be the typical library that we know and love, but um, it will just be a run-in and run-out transaction and no hanging out for now. And social distancing practices will be followed, but at least it's a step in the right direction. And that's all I have. Okay, thank you. And I think the only thing I'll add is uh, that we're all waiting on the guidance from the governor's office for phase two. <clears throat> the new guidelines have not been released yet and we haven't seen a draft yet. So we anticipate those coming out tomorrow for a couple of days of input before they're uh, finalized. And uh, we anticipate uh, the county submitting a phase two reopening request to the state tomorrow. That's one day ahead of the deadline of Wednesday with the expectation that we'll hear on Friday whether or not we are going to phase two on Friday. And if we're lucky, we'll hear 24 hours early and maybe here on Thursday, which isn't super helpful to all the affected businesses to not have advanced notice. But uh, that's just the way it's working right now, um, getting it done right before the deadline. So we're anticipating the possibility that pools will be included in phase two uh, partially. I mean, that was that was hinted at in the Oregonian. I have no idea if it's true or not. Yeah, we, we've heard um, that it may be considered in phase two. We don't know that it's going to be immediately in phase two or that it's going to be a 2.1, yeah. 2.2 phase. Exactly. And I've also heard, of course, I have an interest in museums since I work at one, uh, that museums, gardens, and uh, there was one other category uh, zoos that there might be a category for those venues in phase two, but again, we haven't we haven't heard that. And then uh, some possible modifications to childcare. We're hearing that restaurants and taverns will be allowed to stay open until midnight instead of 10 p.m., but that physical distancing requirements will be unchanged, which is not uh, not it's good news from a public safety perspective, not good news from the restaurants and taverns perspective of being able to uh, be profitable. 
So anyway, there are more to follow. Hopefully tomorrow we'll see drafts that we can get out to the community on that. And now, um, have there been any changes to the agenda? There are no subsequent changes to the agenda. Okay, and the consent calendar items are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion unless a member of the council requests to have an item considered separately and members of the community may also have an item removed if they contact the city manager by 5 p.m. on the day of a, of a meeting. Um, so has, have the public requested, have any items removed? Uh, no requests from citizens. And uh, how about the council? Oh, yeah. how about the council? Have any members <laughs> of the council, I know Councilor Brownson noted uh, astutely that uh, item 6A is, uh, was already previously approved, I believe. That's correct. Yeah, so, so we've scratched 6A. Correct. Any, any uh, other items that anyone would like removed? Okay. In that case, could we have a uh, motion to approve items 6B through 6G? So moved. Tom Brown. I'll second that. Okay, moved and seconded. And uh, roll call, uh, Mr. Estes. Councilor Brownson. Aye. Councilor West. Aye. Councilor Rocca. Aye. Um, we have Councilor Herman. Aye. Mayor Jones. Aye. Regular agenda items. Uh, agenda items are open for public comment following the council's deliberation. I would ask any, uh, anyone watching the meeting tonight, if you wish to speak to an agenda item, you just use the uh, raise hand function on Zoom, and, um, and then you'll be able to uh, ask a question after you give your name and address. You'll have three minutes to speak. Okay, uh, item 7A is consideration to extend the COVID-19 emergency declaration and establish new phased lodging provisions. So at the March 16th city council meeting, council adopted a declaration of local emergency in the city in response to the COVID-19 outbreak. The declaration was extended twice and is currently set to expire today on June 1st. It's suggested that the, uh, the uh, declaration of emergency be extended through July 6th, 2020. That would be a uh, future city council meeting date. Additionally, at a March uh, special session of the city council, the council adopted a resolution imposing prohibitions on vacation and leisure lodging in the city. The resolution, resolution was effective upon adoption and for the same time frame as the emergency declaration. Therefore, these provisions are also set to expire today. So um, recently, Clatsop County, in conjunction with the cities of Astoria, Warrington, and Gerhardt, have been working collaboratively to create a reopening framework for lodging establishments. These jurisdictions wish to establish a phased reopening plan for hotels, bed and breakfast, and homestay lodgings. On May 29th, that would be this last Friday, the uh, Clatsop County Commission considered the draft framework and it was approved. A copy of the approved reopening plan was included in the City Council packet. Should Council wish to implement the same reopening provisions 
uh, then those would take effect June 5th. Um, that would be this coming Friday, the same as Clatsop counties. So tonight it's recommended that city council consider extending the state of emergency in the city of Astoria to July 6, 2020. That can be made uh, by a simple motion. It's also recommended that council consider extending the existing hotel provisions, uh, which are in place uh, currently until this coming Friday, June 5th, and then enacting the new phased lodging reopening plan provisions, which would then go into effect on June 5th. And again, these are the, the same uh, plan provisions which were adopted by Clatsop County. And July 6th takes us to our first uh, meeting in July, I believe. That is correct. And just to be clear on the, uh, on the housing, excuse me, housing, uh, the hotel um, camping short-term rental provisions that were adopted by the county. Um, we do not have campsites or RV sites within the, the city of Astoria. Uh, we do have, of course, hotels, um, and then we have homestay lodging units in our residential areas uh, that uh, we have uh, prohibitions of whole house rentals within our residential zones. But we do have some I'm gonna call them more like vacation rental units within our commercial zones. Um, but um, what is stated is that, and the, the county's uh, adopted reopening framework is that it, as of this Friday, um, hotels themselves could open up to a 60% uh, occupancy rate. Um, and then after three weeks could go to 100%. Um, then with regards to short-term rentals, um, or homestay lodgings or bed and breakfast. Step one would say where there's a maximum occupancy or five or less, they could continue to have their maximum occupancy. When there's six to eight uh, in the maximum occupancy um, during the first three week period, it'd be capped to five people. And in nine or more, um, the occupancy in the first three weeks would be capped at 60% of maximum occupancy rounded up. And I guess in terms of the emergency declaration, we haven't really had a conversation about, uh, and we can do it at the next meeting maybe, or talk offline as well, but just as far as how long we envision it being useful to extend the emergency, de emergency declaration through COVID-19, you know, while we might be in a year-long phase two, is it, uh, you know. And I think there'll be more to come. I would note that in talking to uh, County Manager Don Boone, the county on Friday extended their emergency declaration till July 6th as well. Hmm. So yeah. I think we can take things on a as needed basis. I would also note um, um, there were some reports of counselors of, um, of uh, CARE, uh, CARES Act um, funding, which uh, may be provided to cities, and there was some discussion about that at uh, LOC calls on Friday. Um, just to note that uh, the city of Astoria um, has uh, submitted um, a request uh, for some of those reimbursement funds, funds because we're under a state of emergency as well. Well, that, that answers that question then. <laughs> So I think before I open it up to the council to discuss the lodging, um, I, I don't know if there's anyone in attendance that that came on the Zoom call tonight just to speak to this issue. So let me let me offer a minute for anyone who's watching the meeting tonight. 
if you wish to speak to this issue of the emergency declaration and or the lodging uh, restriction reopening plan, um, just use the, the raise hand function and we'll give it, we'll wait a minute to see if anybody raises their hand on Zoom. Okay. Uh, okay, I'm not. Is that is he selected to? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we 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 have unmuted the attendees in case anyone wishes to speak. Okay, I'm not seeing anybody uh, with a raised hand or speaking. So we'll go ahead and open it up for council discussion. Go ahead, go ahead, Jasmine. I, I had a quick question. Um, I would, I don't anticipate that it would, but if for some reason we were not approved for the, the county phase two reopening, would this impact um, this decision at all as far as, as opening uh, hotel lodging at 60% capacity? So in, in my conversations with the county, um, the, they are looking at that um, if this, um, you know, were put in place, and then it was put in place by Clatsop County, um, but that this would become a, um, a standalone um, and not directly tied to reopening of phase two. That was my understanding. Yeah, I've been reading the report. It, it, it made that clear. I think I just wanted to be sure that was also the case for the city of Astoria. So thank, thank you. I do support reopening hotels and other visitor lodgings in Astoria to 60% capacity. Um, I know there are concerns in the community, but our city does meet the public health metrics, at least as of today, and hopefully that won't change, such as adequate contract contact tracers, adequate PPE and testing. So I think it's time to do this. Yeah, Tom Brownson, I agree. Um, I think we are as, as good a position as any to do this. Um, I just want to reiterate, you know, every, I guess one of the thing, part of my thinking is that, you know, it's been uh, COVID-19, COVID-19 all the time for a few months here. And if people haven't gotten the message yet of what is important for public health and public safety, washing your hands, wearing masks, six feet, keeping some distance, uh, uh, respecting your neighbors. Um, if you're a vulnerable popu population to stay home, if you don't know these things by now, you know, we can't police everybody, you know, so it, people need to go out and do things it, with their best behavior. And we need to count on that. I think here in Oregon, we are very fortunate at the low rate of infections overall, um, and let alone how fortunate we've been here in Classic County. I just want to remind everybody uh, it hasn't gone away and it's out there. 
and we need to continue to take care. So that being said, um, I support trying to get, you know, helping our businesses out at this point in time. And uh, if, if it goes bad, it goes bad, but I want to be optimistic that we will do well. Thank you. I, will, I also want to reiterate my support. Um, I know that in, in speaking with um, people in the hotel industry and uh, also with people from the community, um, I think that we do have people that think that we are uh, doing this a little slowly or they would prefer that we would open at 100% capacity. Um, and then also, you know, individuals who have concerns who think that we might be reopening um, hotels and, and tourism too soon. So I think it's always been my goal to uh, align with the county and meet somewhere in the middle. So I, I think that we are doing this very carefully uh, and continuing to honor the sacrifices that our community has made um, to be careful um, while still wanting to take careful steps forward um, towards reopening various businesses, including including hotels. So um, I am I'm in support of this moderated approach, uh, which again is in line with our neighboring um, cities, Warrington and and uh, Gearhart. Uh, as well as the county's plan. Um, and I think in that solidarity definitely makes it more effective. Okay, well, and I, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Councilor Rocker, go ahead. Yeah, um, I'm not speaking from a vacuum because I, I own a business with 50 employees that's been shut down since March 16th. So I fully get the, the desire on the part of businesses and hotels to, to reopen. Uh, I'm, I'm going to support this with reservations and with butterflies in my stomach. And the reason kind of relates to what uh, uh, Councillor Brownson was saying that, you know, by now we would think that everybody has gotten it. And I think in terms of our own community here, that's largely true. I think what we see in our own community, that's largely true. But if the article in the Oregonian about this past weekend's uh, experience in Cannon Beach is any guide, Visitors who come to the coast aren't necessarily acting the same way, aren't necessarily acting the way that we would want them to. And that puts our population at risk. So I'm going to support this because we need to be in step with, um, with, uh, with Clatsop County and with the other cities in the, in the north uh, uh, part of the county because it does no good to be the only one holding out because still the visitors will be here. But, but I wanna support this with the stipulation that if we see a significant negative result from being open, that we will have the courage to say, we're, we're going back. And I will be the one screaming for that to start out with. So that, that's my two cents. Thank you, Council Rocca, and I certainly uh, agree with your concerns. And with, there were reports from Cannon Beach of visitors coming and uh, to a great extent not, not physical distancing properly and not wearing masks. And uh, you're right, our community has been pretty good about following public health guidelines and we 
don't know how the visitors are going to react when it the sun when it when the town gets full again this summer and so i would ask that um, we will continue to coordinate with our chamber of commerce which has been exceptionally proactive in looking out for the health of the community in this um, their their messaging and marketing has been very much focused on well until until most recently the the message was stay home you know, we look forward to seeing you later but don't come to astoria and warrington yet and uh, i'm sure the chamber will be very helpful in including in their marketing when we do open the hotels that the marketing will include come to astoria and bring your mask and wear it when you're around other people it looked like you wanted to say something yeah I'm, in going into uh tonight's meeting i had a conversation with david reed of the astoria warrington chamber of commerce and uh, he was stating some of the 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 work that they're doing in conjunction with the downtown association um, about reminding people about social distancing and 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 masks so i know that that's something that's that's on their mind as things continue to reopen yeah and we're uh, working on our reopening plan for the maritime museum and we're going to require guests to wear uh, wear masks in the museum and uh, if uh, you know if enough businesses require people to wear them people will get used to the fact that you always have to carry a mask with you and then i think most businesses will have some for available we're going to have disposable ones available for about a dollar and or we'll have nicer ones that you can buy in the store at the museum but i think uh you know, it's kind of up to all of us to set that example so that the visitors are peer pressured into it. And uh, yeah, we're, we're all hopeful, knocking on wood a little bit too, that everything's going to go very well as the town fills up with visitors again this summer. So the first thing I'll ask for is a, um, a motion regarding the extension of the emergency declaration. I move we extend the emergency declaration. Um, through July 6, 2020. I'll second that. Okay, all in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Motion passes. And before we move on here, Mayor, I just want one more comment just to follow up on, on some of these things with Roger and what you just said. Um, one of the things to remember is that, you know, whatever happened in Cannon Beach, there was still a travel restriction on. You know, these are people that are disregarding um, what the governor's office is recommending. And this is what you'll tend to get right now are people that say, screw it. You know, I want to get out. I want to go do this, you know, or it's not so bad. Um, and I just can't stress strongly enough that this is bad. We are in a great position. We don't want to ruin it, you know, so. I'm, I will ask the visitors when they do come again to respect things. You know, uh, my wife does goes out shopping and she goes to Fred Meyer and it's a mixed bag there, whether people are wearing masks or whatnot. Then she goes to Costco. You're required to wear a mask to go into Costco now. They won't let you in without one. So, you know, again, there's a little bit of a checkerboard uh, response right now. And um, so, again, I'm with Roger, you know, we need to pay attention. And uh, we need to make sure our community is taken care of. And I, it's, this is so hard. This is just so hard. But anyway, just thank you. I would agree with that. Thanks, counselors. So um, could we have a motion regarding the consideration to establish new phased lodging provisions? 
I would I would say maybe if the council is wanting to make a motion, it would be uh, to uh, suggest um, adopting the phased um, um, transient lodging uh, provisions, uh, which were adopted by Clatsop County. If uh, you want to consider that as a motion, I would so move. <laughs> Second. And all opposed or all in favor? Aye. Aye. All opposed. Okay, that motion passes. And now we'll move on to 7B, which is consideration of a resolution for a temporary policy for tables and chairs on sidewalks in the public rights of way. So, Mayor and Council, I'm going to give a, um, an introduction to this item, and then I'm going to be turning this over to our planner, Barbara Fryer. Uh, so, um, Ms. Benoit, maybe if you can get her queued up for uh, after my initial remarks. So, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, our Governor Kate Brown has instituted, as you're aware, social distancing protocols for businesses and for residents. And as part of these revised protocols, eating and drinking establishments may expand their footprint outside of a current place of business to allow for this social distancing and to um, meet the governor's orders. Recently, the Oregon Liquor Control Commission relaxed their standards to allow liquor licenses to be expanded outside of buildings. Additionally, staff started receiving inquiries from restaurateurs about placing seating on sidewalks within public rights of way. The city currently has code language which allows for tables and chairs after securing a permit. In response to the increased interest in sidewalk dining opportunities, staff have developed a temporary prescriptive standard for businesses to follow in place uh, to place tables and chairs in the sidewalk portion of the right-of-way. This interim prescriptive standard would, re would not require a permit if they were to apply with the standards, and this uh, temporary policy uh, would be in place until businesses return to full capacity. I would note that um, if someone is not able to initially meet the prescriptive standards, there is also the option to be able to apply for a permit, which provides for a little bit more, um, a little bit more discretion, but it also takes more time to be able to review. So we were wanting to be able to have something that provided some opportunity for folks to be able to meet a direct standard Im immediately. I, I would note that uh, staff has actually been talking about this issue before um, COVID-19 came about, and so this is an opportunity for us to look and see how this all works. Um, and um, after um, restaurants are able to, to move back to uh, full seating within their establishments, we may look at bringing some code amendments to the city council uh, for consideration based upon this. So I'm gonna turn it over to Ms. Fryer uh, to be able to give a little bit more introduction, but ultimately staff is recommending that city council consider this temporary policy and the associated, re associated resolution which we put it in place. So Barbara. Thank you, Mr. Mayor and council. This item is um, really an attempt as Mr. Estes noted to apply a standard, a prescriptive standard. Um, and if we could get the first slide, Jen. So as noted earlier, the uh, social distancing limits the occupancy in food and beverage industry. 
um, businesses. And as Mr. Estes noted, this proposal would temporarily supplement the city code section 5.060, which is intended to provide an opportunity for the public to place tables and chairs in the sidewalk. These prescriptive standards would apply for businesses only until full capacity is in available for um, the industry. At that time, we may come, as Mr. Estes noted, we may come back with a full um, policy that would amend that section of the city code. The standard would apply to business owners and would allow them to apply um, for a permit as noted, if they cannot meet the standard. And the standard is basically, if you have five feet of clearance between your business and the next, um, between your tables and chairs and the um, next obstacle in the way, whether it be the curb or whether it is the, um, light standard or a, a garbage receptacle or a bench, if you have five feet of clearance for a pedestrian um, circulation, you can place your tables and chairs without a permit. Um, if you cannot comply with that five foot minimum circulation path, then you may still go through the permit process and it allows for an averaging of distances to allow for at least a four foot um, clear, clear pedestrian circulation path. Um, and then it would widen out when you get beyond an obstacle and then narrow up again. Um, and in order to have a prescriptive standard where it's clear and objective, um, the five foot is the minimum that is a basic standard under ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and then you can reduce it, but you have to average it out. And um, we really wanted to have something very simple that somebody could follow and go through the process. And Jen, if you could, Go to the next slide. So here we're showing the tables and chairs outside of the Astoria Bistro. The distance between the tables and chairs and the Oregonian um, boxes is five feet. And as you can see, if people congregate, um, there is still room for a pedestrian to walk. Um, Next slide. This is an example where um, right now there is less than five feet. It's, I believe it's a little over three feet between the planter boxes, the planters and the edge of the sidewalk or the edge of the building. So in this instance, we would look at I understand that this particular um, business wants the um, planters moved, but we would be very careful about ensuring that the five feet 
of distance between the edge of the pavement or the edge of the curb, the inside edge of the curb and the buildings still is maintained. Next slide. And again, we have obstacles in the road in the, or in the pedestrian circulation area. Um, it may be recommended that in order to have that five foot minimum clear circulation path, perhaps this business may want to move the smaller circular planters um, so that there is that five feet of separation. And then you'll note that there is an obstacle just beyond this business. So we just wanna make sure that there's a clear pathway for um, pedestrians, both able-bodied and um, those that need assistance. Next slide. And then we have um, some businesses that are not related to the food industry that also put out chairs. And um, we may want to explore the opportunity to allow that outright as well. And with that, the next slide I believe is questions. Yes. And I'll open it up for any questions that you might have. And, and Mayor, Mayor, I wanna to touch on one of the items that um, that Ms. Fryer had mentioned. I think that you know while the <clears throat> intention is to be able to provide this exemption for restaurants during this time, I would say that we would apply it, I'd want to apply it consistently throughout downtown um, and allow anyone who, like the, the Terra Stones scenario, uh, they could do the, the, same, the same thing um, if they wanted to have some uh, benches are out there as well. Um, kind of the, the key though is, is, as Ms. Fryer had indicated, if there's going to be dining, um, that the, the, um, the dining itself would need to be associated directly along the frontage of the business that, that has the, the seating. Isn't that correct, Ms. Fryer? Yes, yes. It would need to be up against the edge of the building um, so that that five foot free clear space is available. And, and but to, to clarify as well is if there's a restaurant that has outside seating, the intent is not for the restaurant to spread all the way down the street, but restaurant seating associated with that business would need to be directly in front of their, their business frontage. That is correct. Now, I don't know if, I'd have to look at it, but if there's any restaurants that have a situation where they have an adjoining business that they are that they would want to ask to be able to put tables in front of the adjoining Excuse me, Mayor. Your, your I can't mind. hear you. Thanks, thanks, Tommy. I was, I was just wondering out loud whether there's any restaurants that have a, an adjoining business where they would want to have permission to put tables and chairs in front of the adjoining business too, if, if that enjoy adjoining business owner. I, wonder, I, I, I mean, I, I, would, I would ask for direction from council then. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think what would be the argument against it? I don't um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it may be, it, 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 I, think, I think it probably makes sense if there's, um, and I'm trying to think of a situation where there's a restaurant that has an adjoining. So like, is the, is the bike shop most immediately adjacent, adjacent to the bistro or is there something else between the bistro and the no, bike shop? No, that's the, 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 the Astoria Coffee House and Bistro 
um, is a full business frontage. Um, they don't, there's, um, Mr. DeFeo doesn't have any other associated business yeah. um, on either side of, of his yeah. operation there. Um, Table 360 and uh, Carruthers. Uh, Table 360 still only got, what, 20 foot or, or less. If they wanted to put tables out, would they be able to go into Crothers' uh, existing area? That's the kind of thing I was thinking about, I guess. If there was a, a I mean, just, if, if, a business, if a restaurant owner wanted to ask his, his or her neighbor, hey, can I put a table in, you know, in front of your restaurant, your it's, place it's too? A council, it's a council policy. I would so. have nothing against so, it, yeah, unless, there's an, unless there's an unintended consequence I'm not aware of. Maybe Barbara can think of some reason we wouldn't want to allow that. No, I, I mean, I, I don't think there is. I think it's just it's a starting point to be able to provide something. But if you wanted to say that, that it was acceptable to, if there is written permission from a, an adjacent storefront um, that that they can uh, expand along that adjacent storefronts frontage. Any, what, do, what do the other counselors think about that? Any objections? Uh, makes no. Sense. I would be in favor of that. We do, Don brought up a really good point. Some of the, the frontages are very narrow. And so um, I know there have been instances in the past where even the coffee house has partnered with the tattoo shop uh, on one side of it to have functions. So um, I, I would certainly be in favor of allowing that. All right, then. I just, you just need I just, verbal guidance. I just I'm one. sorry, Joan, go ahead. Sorry. I just have one question for Barbara. Would this apply city-wide, say? All right. Well, I mean, I mean, it would apply. It would apply citywide, um, but so if there's a a um, business in Uniontown, a business in Uppertown that wanted to do it, yes, it, it is not. It is not prescriptive. It would not be prescriptive just in a downtown, but it is specific where it's adjacent to um, a public right of way. And, and keep in mind that if um, it is adjacent to a state highway, there may be some limitations by the state that we did not explore. Any other comments? Roger looks like he's trying to speak, but he's- Yeah, I, sorry, I had myself muted there for a moment. Uh, the one fly in the ointment obviously is that five feet doesn't give us the six foot separation. Uh, but I understand also that length of exposure is also a factor in, in, the, in the danger of uh, contracting coronavirus. And, you know, like the rest of you, I can't wait to go out to a restaurant again. Uh, so I, 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 emotionally, I support this. So I'd like to be doing it too. But, but we aren't maintaining the six, the six feet. Uh, we need to be clear about that. So, and well, Roger, I, I would say that just walking down the sidewalk, you can't do that. You're going to pass people unless you turn it into one-way traffic, you know, one going and otherwise you, can't, you just can't help it. Yeah. Uh, it's tough. And, and counselors, one of the things that was discussed was this whole issue. And what we didn't want to have is, a, is adoption of a policy which put a spacing standard that could change over time as phase reopening plans. And so we were looking at, at having 
uh, the county health department or the Oregon Health Authority uh, provisions to be able to apply um, as a part of you know any uh, restaurants reopening plan. Councilor Herman, did you have a? Are you trying to speak? Yes, I got an Amber Alert on my phone, so I wasn't able to do anything. I don't know if you heard my question. No, I did not. Okay, would this policy apply citywide? Say to restaurants oh, in oh, town and upper town. Yes, I'm sorry. I, Councilor must have gotten muted out when that Amber Alert uh, popped up. It popped up on our phones here in the council chambers as well. Um, so um, the answer was yes, it would apply citywide um, wherever there are businesses which have um, frontage on uh, public sidewalks. Uh, so if in upper town or in Union Town. Um, it would be the, the same policy would apply in those areas. Good, thank you. Um, I just got a couple questions, I think from someone who was wanting to verbalize, but maybe couldn't, who, um, someone who's asking who would enforce this and then would businesses be required to bring their tables in um, overnight? So the first question on enforcing, that is going to be done by um, city staff. Um, that's one of the things we're looking at in terms of, of how, how, does this, um, how does this work for us uh, during this time. Uh, it's, a, it's a pilot program that, that um, between community development, um, police, and also public work staff to be working with. Um, I will tell you, um, we specifically um, already have code provisions for planters um, in our downtown, which do not require permits. And we have um, received um, complaints about planters, which businesses have placed out on their sidewalks. Um, and those do not require permits. And it has been a challenge with some businesses um, in trying to gain compliance. And we may have some items we're bringing to you as the city council to direct enforcement action for removal of some of those planters here in the near future. Well, I, I am in support of, uh, of this, of, of especially at least trying it. Um, I think like so many things, we, we'll have to see how it goes. Um, but I think that one of the key predicaments for restaurants in general is to be able to, because their profit margin is so narrow, um, to be able to make it feasible to open and, and serve sit-down meals at limited capacity. So I, I think if we can safely increase this, um, that, that that's a good idea. Um, yeah, I think I had something else, but I can't remember what it was. But if I think of it, I'll let you know. Oh, the other question, Councillor, was uh, do you need to bring them in at night? Um, yes. That is, so um, our current code states that um, tables and chairs need to be bring, brought in at night. But um, an earlier city council provided directives to staff um, that they um, um, did not wish to have tables and chairs brought in at night. And that was one of the, the code amendment to-dos, is to actually remove that provision. 
uh, you'll note that this policy does not have a requirement uh, to remove tables and chairs at night. I'm not sure what the argument would be in favor of making businesses bring them in. Is that some people felt they were unsightly to be out at night? Um, it, it's going to come down to if there are lightweight um, tables and chairs and there's a windstorm, does it blow in ah, and crash gotcha. windows? Gotcha. Um, are they used as projectiles um, yeah. um, by humans? Um, and also it comes down to uh, would it um, impede public safety if a fire de department needed to start fighting a fire in a building? So always those other unintended yeah. areas so you don't think So those are some of the, the uh, issues that were discussed by staff um, as potential concerns. Um, we have not been enforcing the uh, requirement for folks to bring in their tables and chairs. Mm -hmm. Um, at night um, for some years now, mm -hmm. um, but it's still something you know for for council to be considering. Perhaps it's easier to leave the requirement on the books and continue to not enforce it until such time as it becomes well, apparent we need to start enforcing it. Well, I think if we could maybe um, treat this as a temporary policy without an included, mm -hmm. and we can see how it works. And, and again, if council approves this temporary policy, if we start seeing problems, we can come back and amend the temporary policy. See, that's why you're the city manager. You think of these things. <laughs> okay, in that case, could we have a motion uh, regarding the resolution? And, and uh, I would understand that there is a, a change to the resolution uh, and the, the policy which would state um, that business owners um, could request um, on to utilize the the adjacent business frontage uh, for placement of tables and chairs, um, and if they secure that uh, in writing, um, then um, that would also be um, be allowed uh, to place the tables and chairs in an ad on the adjacent uh, frontage. Uh, I would make it clear that it can't keep on going and be expanded. It yeah. only applies to the directly adjacent businesses uh, to the requesting uh, applicant. Yeah. So and then I then, would, I would assume that that would be the uh, the business owner, not necessarily the property owner, that needs to get permission. Or yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I, I will say that. Um, if you'd like to, we can say that it's required by the adjacent business owner and the adjacent property owner to make it very clear. I think I think the, pro the, the business owner is fine because they're leasing the property. It's their storefront okay. that's being imposed upon. It just makes sense. I just want to make sure that's clear. Okay. Is it, everybody's okay with that? Just saying the business owner? Sure. Okay. In that case... I'll move that we approve the temporary policy for tables and chairs on sidewalks and public rights of way as amended as noted by Mr. Estes uh, on the record just a moment ago. I will second that. And roll call, Mr. Estes. Councillor Herman? Aye. Councillor West? Aye. Councillor Brownson? Aye. Councillor Rocca? Aye. Mayor Jones? Aye. Item 7C is an agreement with the State of Oregon Office of Emergency Management for federal disaster relief funding related to public assistance DR 4499-OR as a result of COVID-19. 
So the Oregon Office of Emergency Management has provided the city with a formal contract which is required should the city of Astoria be eligible to receive federal disaster assistance funding as a result of COVID-19. And this would be um, FEMA funding that we would be looking at. It's an unknown at this time whether the city would have eligible items to request from FEMA directly. However, staff have initiated the process in order to be prepared should unidentified costs meet the federal requirements. Um, our finance director, Susan Brooks, has been working on this and trying to get everything prepared um, if it would uh, become eligible. Tonight, it's recommended that council approve and authorize the city manager to sign the agreement and Ms. Brooks can answer any specific questions uh, if you have any. I did have one question, and that is that we're not facing a natural disaster, so we don't have expenses related to a flood or a major windstorm. So what kinds of expenses might we be reimbursed for? Um, what would qualify? At, at this point, we would not qualify under um, the FEMA guidelines. But um, that could change in the future. And so we are just keeping our options open and um, we've, we've uh, set ourselves up with FEMA. We've had our introductory meetings uh, with the staff and this is another step. So at this point, I don't believe that we would qualify for any funding. So Ms. Ms. Brooks, um, in doing this, there was some coordination with Tiffany Brown at the County Emergency Management Office, is that correct? Correct. Um, we have a weekly meeting, the, um, the finance directors in this county have a weekly meeting with uh, Ms. Brown and um, she, helped, she has been helping us keep up to date on the grants portal and the FEMA side of it. Um, in case funding does become available that we could apply for. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you, Susan, for being prepared and on top of it. I know there's been some talk in Congress of FEMA funds, so I'm glad that we're prepared to take advantage of them if they become available. Well, I'm not seeing any downside to this, so I'm going to move that we approve the agreement with the State of Oregon Office of Emergency Management for federal disaster relief funding related to public assistance DR-4499-OR. All second that. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? And our final item is a license to occupy a portion of the Third Street right-of-way. So the City of Astoria has received a rest request from Michael Reek, who is a resident of 345 Nehalem Avenue, to occupy a portion of the Third Street right-of-way in order to construct privacy fencing for property security. Our public works staff have reviewed the application and can support the issuance of a license to occupy with the conditions uh, noted in the memorandum. Um, there was a question also as to whether a home occupation permit may be needed on this site and our new community development director Meg Leatherman has spoken with the applicant today and determined that a home occupation permit was not needed based on the information that was provided. 
So tonight it's recommended that City Council approve the license to occupy, subject to the conditions for a portion of the 3rd Street right-of-way adjacent to 345 Nahalem Avenue. Um, I would note um, that our City of Astoria zoning ordinance uh, does have, um, have uh, provisions with how fences are to be installed and as you know one of the uh, conditions is construction of the improvements would need to comply with all city codes and um, just wanted to make that uh, specific uh, notation our public works director um, jeff harrington is online and um, i know that our city city engineer nathan crater was earlier um, i don't know that he still is i know that there was possibly something you may need to get off for. So uh, between the two of them, they'd be able to answer any questions. And I know the applicant, um, Mr. Uh, Reek, is also on the, on the line as well. So um, maybe um, Ms. Benoit, if we want to unmute him, as well as Mr. Harrington and Mr. Crater. So this is Council Brownson. Um, so I think this is good. Uh, I have met with Rick and his wife, and um, I have a quite. I had there was some question about uh, them putting a fence on their front yard, also in public right of way, and that there was some dispute or some discussion about that. Uh, and I would like to hear if there's where the public works has come down on that particular issue. I know it was a great concern to them. So maybe, um, Councillor Brownson, maybe if I would start before public works, because there actually may be zoning codes that um, would preclude this. Um, that's why I made the notation earlier about fence standards. Um, within a front yard setback, our zoning code would only allow a maximum four foot tall fence. Um, in addition, at the corner of Third and DeHalem, vision clearance uh, would need to be addressed as well. And so um, I know that Ms. Leatherman had some conversations with the applicant today about, about this whole issue. Um, so um, I think your specific question is about a license to occupy further um, into the right-of-way of Nehalem. Um, and already there are prohibitions of fences taller than four feet in the 20-foot front yard setback. Well, I, be, to be clear that this fence for the front yard is to meet uh, the same standards. It wasn't a direct continue, an exact continuation of the side fence. Um, yeah, so, so I would say that a, a fence that has been requested, a six foot tall fence, would not be permitted in the front yard code. Uh, and so for that to be approved, they would need to uh, obtain a variance or the council would need to approve zoning. My understanding is they did not request a six foot fence. So um, again, they can speak to this. I just wanted to uh, bring this up there. I, at the time of the discussion, it was uh, out of public works that the rejection took place, not in uh, uh, community development. But again, um, I didn't hear any resolution or any direction uh, after having discussions about this. And I just wanted to have any kind of follow-up about any concerns or uh, how to proceed forward if uh, the Reeks wish to put in this front fence and what they would need to do to achieve that. Um, so 
if you if you uh, so if somebody would like to speak to that, I'd yes. appreciate it. Mr. Harrington. Yes, um, Nathan, would you like to talk about that? Yeah, I, I can I can take that one. So um, yeah, so the the license to occupy. Uh, first of all, can you hear me all right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Great. So. Um, uh, Public Works reviewed the was to occupy for the Third Street right away. There was um, either miscommunication or um, uh, some some goof up on reviewing the fence out in the uh, Nehalem right away. Um, so that was that came in kind of after this item had already been scheduled for council. Uh, we did try to do a quick review of it um, and uh, basically came up with a variety of concerns, some of which uh, Brett touched on. Um, and um, others tied to mobility, potential future utility improvements, um, precedents with uh, you know fence lines uh, to the east, west, uh, things of that nature. And so, uh, ultimately, you know, made the decision at this point because uh, the request was um, tied to security of the property that it would likely be best to move forward with uh, what was approvable at this point um, because we didn't feel like we could support. Uh, a license to occupy in the Nehalem Avenue right away. So the only thing we're being asked to consider tonight is the Third Street right of way. Th that is what is what is being brought forward with you. If if the council um, wishes to provide direction that they would like to see a fence in the Nehalem Street right of way, we would request that this item be continued and be brought back. Um, I would say that um, staff would be recommending denial of that at this point in time, most likely. As Mr. Crater had noted, uh, there's, this came in, the, the Nehalem request came in subsequently, and there are concerns with vision clearance, triangles coming out of the Third Street right of way, concerns with utilities uh, within the Nehalem Street right of way, and having a fence within the right of way. Um, and we would need to have conversations about, you know, specifically what would be proposed. Um, I guess the question from council is, you know, um, I mean, I, you know, how do you want to, to be able to move forward? Because there is a recommendation for Third Street, um, but we're not prepared to have anything brought forward with um, Nehalem at this juncture. Yeah, I would just like to stick to the agenda as submitted with the third uh, street right-of-way issue and not address the Nehalem since staff's not comfortable uh, with that being presented to us tonight. Well, I was, Mayor, I was just asking for the status. I want, because I, there was a request, there was a discussion about it, and it is associated. I do want to see this passed tonight, want this taken care of. They need to uh, move for, want to move forward with the side fence. But um, those are just questions I had, questions that, um, uh, the rakes had as well. Um, and they're, so, uh, again, I just was just looking for an update and a status of where they were at. And, uh, I don't know if the rakes want to have any comments or not, but, uh, I thought it was important to follow up on that. Thanks counselor. Mr. And Mrs. Reek, did you wish to uh, speak? I would like to thank you. Yes. I'd like to thank counselor Brownson for support. Yeah. There was a goof up um, when we met with him two weeks ago. The 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 feeling we got from Public Works is that we wanted to put a fence right directly behind the curb on on Nehalem. That was never the case at any time. 
it was always a, a minimum of five feet as if there were a sidewalk there to nine feet. Um, and there is a gas line, it probably at about five feet. I've had that located before. So I would, I would like to, I'd probably like to put it more like nine feet back because there was a talk of uh, pedestrians can't get off the street. And that was the goof up. It was never gonna be behind a curb. And as far as a uh, line of sight goes, we're on the apex of a hill and that's not an issue. Besides that, just to the west of us, in front of the guardrail of the third street right away, there's cars constantly parked right there on the very apex of the thing where we actually have a difficult time seeing to the west when we get out of our driveway. So that's, if uh, if, if somewhere to see the site, you would understand that it's not a, uh, that's not an issue. And I, if I can say something that when we put the application in, there was a diagram at the very beginning, and I don't know where it went with you guys in that application, but it actually showed the perimeter of what we were um, asking. And so the whole Nahalem miscommunication, I don't know how that happened. So I'm sorry it didn't get on the agenda tonight along with Third Street, but it, it was in there somewhere. And first of all, I want to deeply thank you for allowing the six foot fence on the Third Street right away, mm -hmm. because this whole issue is driven by theft. We've got five police cases since 2016 that we've lived here and um, stolen property right out of our vehicles and, and drug down into the Third Street right away. And that's why we were asking for a five foot fence on the Halem just to keep, you know, so you can't just throw generators and hurdle them, you know, hurdle the fence and take off with them. That's exactly what has happened so far. Both of our vehicles have been broken into right in our driveway. It's incredible. So, so it's really about safety was our very first thing. And then, you know, the aesthetics for the front on the Halem was another. So um, this is uh, city manager, Brett Estes, and I'm asking the rate. So what, what uh, height fence were you wanting along the Halem? We were asking for just from four to five, because we don't want to feel hemmed in either and have some unsightly thing. And it's not and, a solid fence. Yes, There's yes. also a picture somewhere in your file yeah. that shows uh, a representation of what we would like. It's not a solid fence, so you can actually see through it. Yeah, we want something nice looking. We don't want to be all hemmed in like there's a prison around here. Okay, thanks. So, and I mean, unless the reeks are asking to wait delay the whole thing and not approve the third street tonight and put it all together as one package at a future future meeting we can go ahead and act on the uh on the third uh avenue third street package yeah and ms benoit if you want to go up to there's a an aerial that was included in the packet uh, if you can go to that um that slide real quick yes so this is the area um, that's proposed tonight for the license to occupy uh, for uh, placement of the of the taller uh, taller fence. So on the north side of that um, that provision, see, we never even got to see that. What we were shown and that came back to us was also a variance all the way from the north side of that fence line to um, the Nahalem right away. So, so we didn't even get this picture that we knew that you had because it's excluding um, a, a two foot to the north of that. Mr. Crater, Mr. Harrington, can you speak to that please? 
I think I think it's just the size of the exhibit map. Um, I, I'm having trouble seeing it on my screen, but it is intended. It wasn't at least it was intended to show. And I see a little sliver of yellow there yeah. um, that that it does go to the Nahalem Avenue right away. Oh. I believe it, it, it is on there. Um, we can verify that, but that was the intent of the approval. Great. Okay, yeah, I, we can see that on our package, the city councilor package. Yeah, it goes up to the northwest corner at Nahalem. And so, yeah, and if you look at the on that exhibit, it shows two. I think it's dimensioned as two feet um, at the northern edge of Nahalem, and then it moves down and extends out 18 yes. feet into the right of way to provide a total of 20 feet uh, in that bulk of the area to the south. Mr. Mizrik, is that what yes. you were understanding as well? That's yeah. correct. Yes. Yeah, I okay. couldn't see it. It was so small, so I apologize. Yeah, no, no, I, that's, I understand there. So I just want to make sure that I think that, as Mr. Crater said, that I think it sounds like while it's maybe difficult to read online, it's we have that dimensioned here. Okay, so. thank you. Uh, Jason, property owners have been notified about this? Who are you talking to? Nathan or Jeff? Um, Yes, I believe so. I'd have to verify, but yes, I believe so. The, the standard notice that we give for this type of a... You know. Yeah, so the property okay. entered to the west would be that apartment. I forget the name of it. I'm sure the reach know the name of the apartment complex. Uh, River Terrace? Yeah, River Terrace. Yeah. River Terrace. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm not sure since it doesn't impact their half of the right-of-way if it's required to notify them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so license to occupy is uh, in, the, uh, in the past, meaning maybe prior to a year ago, um, uh, we did not issue um, like a public notification like you would on a variance. Uh, we did start that process um, about a year and a half ago, but in some cases it was dependent on the, the type of request. And so I, unfortunately, I, I don't have that information in front of me either. Um, uh, so I can't confirm that. But I, I would like to add that this, the area that is shown is an area that the um, uh, Mike Reed currently maintains. It's at the grade of his property. Um, it's, it is somewhat uh, grade separated from the uh, apartment area. And so um, it is, it's my understanding is not an area that's currently used by anybody, but um, uh, Mr. Reek. Okay. So um, Mr. and Ms. Reek, I, I do wanna make sure everything is clear as well. Ms. Benoit, if you can go back up to that exhibit. So I know that you know, in the conversation that Ms. Leatherman had with you earlier, there was some discussion about um, about fence heights, and so 20 feet back from Nahalem Street right of way um, is a requirement that the maximum height is four feet, and then it could jump up to six feet once you get 20 feet back. Uh, so I, I mean, I want to make sure that 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 is also clear um, through this as well. Are, are you are you clear on on that as well? clear on it but not exactly happy <laughs> yes because, yeah because we've had we've also had concrete and asphalt thrown at the entire length of our house directly from the west so we we're hoping for all the height we could get to to uh, have things thrown at our house and so the process for requesting a higher you height know, is that at the I'm staff a, level or is that no, have to go to council so i'm going to ask mr henningsgard i'm going to ask your guidance on this because you know, where we have provisions for maximum heights, uh, but this isn't in a front yard setback per se. Um, can you provide some guidance since this will be in a right-of-way? 
this uh, the fence issue isn't before us right now, is it? No, so, no, it's not. So I mean, I think maybe as Mr. I think maybe where Mr. Henningsgard is getting at is I think that what we can do is sit down with the Reeks and and be able to kind of if if the license to occupy is approved, that gives the right to be able to build a fence there. Um, you know, one of the things it's noted in the license to occupy uh, that um, you know that they're granting permission to construct a six foot high chain link fence approximately 20 feet into the right of way um, you know and that, that's kind of further back and then I think we need to be able to sit down with them and kind of go over this it is a bit of a nuanced issue because it's not exactly within a setback if it's in the right of way so but there may be code intent there I, I think probably if the council granted this we could sit down with them and kind of go over what would be specifically permitted in the in the third street right of way and then continue the conversation about Nahalem. Okay. I'd like to make a motion then Please do. I'd like to uh, move that we approve the license to occupy a portion of Third Street right away um, as proposed. And uh, that's it. It's my motion. Uh, I'll second that. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Okay, the motion carries. Can build your fence, and uh, we'll uh, well, well work we'll with work, the staff. Work, work staff on the yeah, fence. I'd, I'd just like to yeah. encourage staff to work with them and uh, see if we can resolve that front yard issue too in some way in a, a reasonable and thoughtful and, and and good way. I visited the property. It's a well landscaped, very nice looking uh, place, and if, if it's reasonable, I would encourage that. Thank you. Okay, and I, I have to admit, I, I guess I misunderstood what we were motioning because I thought we were just saying, okay, we're deal with the third street fence. That's correct. And well, then the Halem, they can yeah. talk to staff about yeah. later. But what we've really, we've just approved them having the license to occupy the right. fence particulars as far as height yeah. are still to be worked out correct. with staff. Correct. Okay. So no, there are no fence permits in the city of Astoria. Um, and, um, if you're keeping it at six feet and below, we, we have no fence permit process. However, we have zoning standards and so i just want to make sure that um you know with the granting of the license to occupy it allows for fences to be installed in in this area now um, we just need to have staff continue to work with them on the specifics of that height particularly when it gets closer to third uh excuse me my problem my apologies closer to nahalem um and um you know, we can have that conversation with them and then continue the conversation about um, their desire to be able to have a license to occupy for um, for Nahalem, Nahalem as well. Okay, very good. Okay, is there any new business from the council? Not new business. I would just share that uh, I walked my dogs today uh, up at uh, Shively Park and noted that at the, uh, the top of the hill, there was a um, memorial that had been set up uh, for George Floyd, apparently over the weekend when the vigils were held. And it's, it's really quite touching. It's in one of the shelters there, and there's a photograph of him, there are flowers, there are candles, and lots of notes of commitment of people committing to, uh, um, to their personal uh, wish to be uh, uh, 
champions of justice for everyone. So um, it was just kind of a neat thing to see, uh, just on a walk with the dogs. That's at the top of the hill at Shively. Thanks, Roger. I just had a question probably for Brett. Um, I was wondering, I'm sure you'll keep us in the loop regarding the um, community development block grants. And then uh, there was also a, a bit of discussion. I know this has yet to be made public, but about the CEDAR grant as well. I think I'm just wondering if we, if there is maybe consideration around uh, a follow-up meeting like we had with the chamber and Warrington um, for our local small businesses where we might be able to provide some updates around this information once it comes in. I know it's premature because we're still waiting, uh, but. So, yeah, so, so last week, Clatsop Economic Development Resources and the Clatsop Small Business Development Center uh, made an announcement that they had received some small business assistance grant funds that they are going to be rolling out. The city of Astoria has has no direct um, um, process in terms of of disseminating those uh, those funds. Separately, uh, at your last city council meeting, the council um, held. Uh, a public hearing for two community development block grants. One, to provide personal protective equipment to Clatsop County, and one potentially for a small business assistant grant. Um, we have um, gone through the process of the first phase of the community development block grant with the state for the PPE, um, and um, now it's the next phase is, is a more intensive process of our grant writers putting things together. We're in the process now of putting together the first phase application for the small business assistance grant. I will tell you community development block grants are long and arduous processes. Um, and they're, um, you know, I, I am not anticipating finding out anytime soon. Um, with regards to the PPE or the small business assistance. Um, we were told that, that you know, the earliest we could hear would be July um, for those. And that was, um, that was still to be determined. We, we, we just don't know when we're going to hear about those community development block grant funds. So that's okay. the, kind of the latest, at least, on, on, those, uh, on those two applications, that they're still in the... Um, application process between our grant writer and the state of Oregon. Okay, thank you. I, I appreciate, um, yeah, it was a little premature, but just uh, wanting to be able to tell business owners that have been asking, you know, we're just, we're waiting um, and we'll keep you up to date as we get that information is, is probably the best answer we can give right now. Yeah, I mean, I, but I think the same time, um, I think the bigger uh, thing to be able to touch on are grant funds which could be coming to the Small Business Development Center in Cedar faster uh, because um, they're coming from separate um, resources, state resources um, that don't uh, have to go through the full um, community development block grant process. Okay. So I, I would say that you continue to be talking with uh, 
with SBDC and Chamber Kevin Leahy um, and uh, and those uh, folks over there. Okay, I'll um, I'll maybe try to make a post or something or or uh, connect with maybe even through the SBDC. But Oregon Community Foundation has um, been very proactive and and offered awarded grant funding to some of our local businesses and, and organizations in Astoria. Um, and as of today, I've just been added as a um, one of the people on the grant review panel. So they're very much uh, still accepting applications. Um, I would say that Clatsop County is very much on their radar of an area to support because they know how hard this area has been hit. Um, so I would encourage small businesses and nonprofits to continue to apply for the OCF COVID-19 relief fund, um, which is, can be accessed through their website. So thank you. Anyone else? Okay, I'll open it up to the public. Are there any members of the public who would like to make a comment tonight? If so, just use the raise hand function on your uh, Zoom. Looks like Don has his hand raised. I do. Okay, Don, you first. Thank you very much for uh, all you've done this evening. I And uh, the city, as far as I can see, and of course I'm 1,500 miles away here in Arizona uh, being quarantined, I, and uh, I have to commend the city, I have to commend the county, and I have to commend the governor for all that's been done uh, in keeping our citizens uh, and our communities safe. Uh, your discussions this evening have, have really hit uh, points. Uh, and I think that our business owners, knowing them as well as I do, are going to make sure that people are safe. We're talking about the six foot, we're talking about tables in, uh, in the right of ways or in the walkways. Uh, reach out and, and support those businesses because I know the owners care. Uh, they've been working with closed doors, with only uh, uh, people calling and, and uh, all of that. Uh, they're on top of it, you're on top of it, and all I can say is thank you for supporting the community in the whole. Thank you, Mr. Duncan. Mr. Reek. Yeah. But you're still, we have to unmute you. Now you're unmuted. All right, we're new to this, so we didn't know at the end of our conversation if we were able to thank you or not, but we'd like to thank you. It's, it's been a long process, and it's, uh, I'm looking forward to getting some sleep and getting a fence up. Yeah, so thank you very much for taking the time and considering everything, and uh, look forward to hearing from you guys and sitting down and showing you what we want to do. Uh, you're very welcome, and I'm very sorry for the uh, security issues that you've had. Well, that's why we wanted, that's why it was very nice for Mr. Brownson to come and talk with us last year and this year because, um, you know, we've tried to do our due diligence, turn more lights on, cameras and things, but you still don't sleep at night. You don't even want to leave to go on vacation it's, or anywhere. It's just, we'll it's talk hard. about it when we're there. We'll yeah, let you know. I'm so sorry so, that you should, we should, so none of our neighbors should have to live that way. And helping us get a little better at this. Great, thank you. Is there anyone else? Okay, in that case, uh, thank you all for tuning in tonight, and we are adjourned.
Thank you. Good night. Good night. Thank you and good night. Good night. Do you know anything about that up there, Jeff? Do you mean as far as some of the activity that's yeah. driving? No, I don't. Um, the only thing I can say is that we've seen an uptick of some car break-ins. Yeah. Well.